Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. In your opinion, who do you think is the number one band of all time? Like if you had to choose one band, I'm talking secular or Christian, out of all of history, who would you say the number one top-rated band would be in your mind? One article, when I began to ask this question, who is the number one band of all time, I decided to go to Google because that's where we get our information today, the Google age. And Google responded with this statement. The Beatles are unquestionably the best and most important band in rock history, as well as the most compelling story. I thought that was interesting. Then I thought to ask myself, now, by the way, today is not a day that I'm going to comment on whether I'm in favor or not in favor of some of these musical bands or artists. But I begin to ask myself this question, who is, or who is the number one listened to artist on Spotify? If you don't know what Spotify is, it's an internet radio station. It's my best way I can explain it to you. Justin Bieber is currently the most listened to artist right now on Spotify. He has 73.92 million monthly listeners. Then I thought to myself, what is the number one most streamed song right now on Spotify? Well, it's oddly enough, not Justin Bieber's song. And it's certainly not the Beatles. It's a song written by Ed Sheeran. It's called Shape of You. And check it out now. Listen to me. I'm not making this up. You can, look it, you can look it up on Google yourself. This song right now is the most streamed song on Spotify because it has over 2.8 billion streams. That's a lot of streams. Now, maybe you have a favorite band, and maybe your favorite artist or band is not Ed Sheeran and not Justin Bieber or not the Beatles, but maybe let's just say, for, for instance, that you get a ticket to go see your favorite band. Maybe your favorite Southern gospel group. Maybe your favorite worship band. Maybe your favorite Christian band. I don't know. And you go, you get tickets, and you're excited. I mean, you're jamming out to their songs in the radio. You're jamming out to their songs on Spotify or Apple Music or Pandora or wherever you're listening to music these days. And as you go, you're so excited. The concert starts at 7 p.m., but you get there at 4 p.m. Because you're just so excited. And you get in there, and it was an outdoor event, and they allowed you to get in. And there you see your favorite band on the stage. And they're setting everything up, and they're having what we call sound check. Sound check, I'm sure you know what it is. It's a time where the band gets together, and they set everything up, and they, they test the microphone levels. They get it all EQ'd exactly how they want it to sound. And then they plug their instruments in, and they get the piano. They get the keyboard. They get the drums. They get all the bass, and everything set up with the right volume, and everything is equally balanced. I say that to say this. That as we come to Revelation chapter 8, verse number 6, we see that the seven angels of God that have these trumpets, they are having what I call sound check. Look at verse number 6. The Bible says, And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. This, my friends, is heaven's sound check for the judgments to come. Today, I want to just label my sermon title with this. The, four, the first four trumpet judgments. 
And before we dive into this text today, this passage, this is normally what most people would cover at the very beginning of Revelation, but I waited till now because from this moment forward, you're going to see that how somebody interprets and views the book of Revelation will determine their outcome and how they understand the book. There's four major ways that you can view or interpret the book of Revelation. First of all is preterist. A preterist views the book of Revelation as the majority of the content here as being fulfilled within the first 100 years after Christ. Then you have a historicist view, and they understand the book of Revelation as the events here in the 22 chapters occurring in different scenes throughout history. So they would say that this particular chapter occurred in 1000 AD. They would say this particular chapter occurred in 500 AD, etc. Then you would have the idealist approach. The idealist approach does not take the book of Revelation as literal, not as future, but as all allegorical and spiritual and symbolic. So everything that they would read and hear, except minus maybe the seven churches, is viewed as symbolism and allegory. And then you have the fourth view, and that is the futurist view. This view interprets the book of Revelation as best explaining the events that take place as literal events that mainly occur in the future. Now, I want you to understand this. There's a level of truth in all four of these interpretations, but the one that best fits the entirety of the contents is the futurist, literist view of this book. For example, there's times here in the book of Revelation where things are symbolic. We read earlier in chapter number five where these, these odors that are going up, the incense, if you will, are a representation or a symbol of the prayers of the saints. So there is a level of symbolism. And yes, there are events that take place in the book of Revelation in the 22 chapters that occurred in the past. We understand the seven churches in the chapter two and chapter three occurred in the past, but chapters four and on occur in the future. And then there are certainly times where the events in Revelation were fulfilled within the first hundred years, mainly chapters one, two, and three. Understand this, that I believe when you're reading the book of Revelation, I, I, want, I want to share this with you. Yesterday, we were riding some skateboards around here in the parking lot. It made me think about my, my, my teen years growing up, and I loved a skateboard. And there was a lot of things that, that I'm not going to get into, but my family called me the skateboarding hippie hoodlum because I had this long, crazy hippie hair. And I have the pictures to prove it if you don't believe me. And I have the people here that can fact check that for you. <laughs> but one of the things that, that I did not do growing up with that hair is I never combed it. I would get out of the shower and I'd just shake my head and I'd go. And so what happened was, was my hair would get these tangles. And I'm not just talking like a little tangle. I'm talking about an entire knot. Now, maybe I shouldn't tell you this because maybe you're going to look at me differently. But when I was a teenager, around 15, 16 year old, instead, instead of getting that comb and just making that thing get, get all straight, I just took a pair of scissors and cut that knot out. <laughs> I say that to say this, that if you try to interpret the book of Revelation from the three first views, you're going to be in a tangled theological knot and all messed up in your understanding of the book of Revelation. Today, I want you to understand this. The only way, the best way to understand this book is to understand chapter one is the past. 
Remember, John writes the outline in chapter number one. He says, remember the things that were, the things that are, and the things that are going to come to pass. So the past, present, and future. Chapter one is the past. Chapter two and three is the present. That is the present time of John writing, and even our present church age, if you will. And then chapter four and on is the future. Now, I have two key statements I want to share with you today. The first one is to summarize the content here in this text. But the second one, I'm not going to give it to you to the very end of the sermon, and that is how this text can be applied to our life today. There's a lot of information I'm going to spill at you today, but at the end of the sermon, I want to give you one thought that we can walk away with for application. But here's the key thought, the first one, about what is going on in verses 6 through 13. The devastation blow of the first four trumpet judgments are warning signs for mankind to repent of their sins. The devastation blow of the first four trumpet judgments are warning signs for mankind to repent of their sins. That is what's going on here in verses 6 all the way down to verse number 13. But now I'm sure you're asking yourself a question. If we're going to talk about these first four trumpet judgments, what exactly are these trumpet judgments? We are going to cover four of them today, Lord willing. So buckle up your seatbelt today. We're going to fly through these as rapidly and respectfully within the time frames of our service. Today I want to draw your attention not just to verse 6 now. We've seen heaven has ha- had its sound check of these trumpets, trumpeteers, these heavenly trumpeteers. And now verse number 7. Look at it. It says, the first angel sounded. They've had their warm-up. They've had their preparation. They've had their sound check. And now the first angel steps up and blows that trumpet. And after the trumpet sounded, verse 7 says, there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees were burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. Here's the first thought of of four. I'm going to describe each of these four trumpets for you. I'm going to define them for you. The first trumpet unleashes God's judgment of destruction upon one-third of all vegetation. The first trumpet unleashes God's judgment of destruction upon one-third of all vegetation. Now, before we dive into here, I want you to understand this, that in the first, second, in these first four trumpets, I'm reminded how God is sovereign over creation. God is the one who made this earth. We are seeing a rise in in this world of somewhat of an idolization of Mother Earth and Mother Nature. And I think what's going to happen is as the days grow longer, as the days approach the second coming of Christ and the rapture of the church and the tribulational period, I believe that that is going to intensify and people are going to, as Romans 1 say, worship and serve the creature and the creation rather than the God who made the creature and the creation. And so today... I I know that if we go back to Genesis, I understand that he spoke everything into existence. And so if God is able to take absolutely nothing and speak everything into existence, then surely God has the right and authority to mess it all up because he has dominion over it. Now, I'm all about helping the environment and being environmental friendly. I'm all about not littering. I'm all about taking care of this planet to a certain level. But understand this, that one of these days, God is going to send global warming to this earth. 
God is going to light fire upon the vegetation and the trees and the plants. And if all of these tree-hugging hippies out there think that, that we should just stop, you know, doing all this littering and everything, and we should, we should stop the degree that we're doing it for sure. There's a level of truth to what they're saying. But you wait until they see what God does to this earth. My friends, they will be mad then. Because in this season, when this first angel trumpet sounds, we are going to see that God is going to destroy one-third of the vegetation plant life here on this earth as a symbol that this world's God is not plants and vegetations, but the one who created them. This reminds us of Exodus chapter 9, when the seventh plague thundered down from the presence of Almighty God upon Egypt. In fact, we see parallels from all five, the first five trumpet judgments back to the, the book of Exodus when, when God was, was stirring in Moses' heart to, to go into the, the, the palace of Pharaoh and to say, hey, Pharaoh, thus says the Lord God Almighty, let the people of God go so we can go and worship. And we see that in the seventh plague, hail and fire came down and plagued the land of Egypt. In Isaiah chapter 28, we read about how hail is another form of God's judgment. We see in Genesis chapter 19, fire and brimstone rain down upon Sodom and Gomorrah as an avenue of God's judgment. And we see in like manner right here in Revelation chapter 8 and verse number 7, we are going to see God pour out hail and fire once again to judge this earth. Now, how exactly is he going to do this? You can read all the commentaries. You can listen to all the preachers out there and their guess is as good as mine and their guess is as good as yours. All we see is exactly what John wrote down and as John is, is writing these things, look, imagine if you were to go back to the 1850s and we were to take a time machine and bring you up to 2021 and you're seeing these airplanes fly in the air. You're seeing these cars zoom past by you. You're seeing this technology. People are just walking around looking at their phone now, you know? Everybody's just looking. Be like, what, what, what are they looking at? There'd be like a, a hard way to explain that in the vocabulary of that time. And so when John is writing some of these things down, it is very possible that he had no clue what he was seeing. So he's doing the best he could to write these words by inspiration. And I think God didn't want us to know exactly how he was going to do it. Because if he did, he would have included it in the text. But all we know is that fire mingled with blood, and hail is going to be pouring down from heaven upon this earth in such a way that it's going to burn one-third of the trees and all of the green grass. The devastation blow of the first four trumpet judgments are God's warning sign for mankind to repent of their sins. Now, let's look at the second one. So far, we looked at the first trumpet judgment, that is, destruction upon one-third of all vegetation. But now let's look at verses 8 and 9. What are these four trumpets, judgments? Well, secondly, as we read verses 8 and 9, here, here's the second thought I want to give you. The second trumpet unleashes God's judgment of destruction upon one-third of of all sea life. The second trumpet unleashes God's judgment of destruction upon one third of all sea life. 
Verse number eight, the Bible says, and the second angel sounded. So angel number one has sounded, but now angel two sounds. And the Bible says here that, that after this angel sounded his trumpet, that he says, as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. One commentator called this a fireball from heaven. And maybe it is. But he goes on to say, this, this mountain was burning with fire, cast down into the sea. And the Bible says, and third part of the sea became blood. And third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. Now there's been so much speculation about what this is. Some have tried to go back to the first century with Mount Vesuvius and it erupted and, and they're a volcano and they are, they are, they're going back and they're trying to think that, that maybe John had this in mind and he's trying to explain this, this volcanic eruption that's going to come and wreak havoc on this earth. Well, who knows? Some are trying to come in here and speak about how, well, maybe this is like a, a, a nuclear bomb that is going to come down into the sea and, and, and who knows? What we do know is John describes it as a great mountain that is lit on fire. And this parallels the judgment back in Egypt. Remember the judgment? Judgment number one, the first plague, where God sent Pharaoh in and, Mo, and God sent Moses and Aaron into Pharaoh's palace. And there, there they are saying, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. And they, they say, hey, if you do not let, him, let, let us go, then God is going to turn the water into blood. And then God did just that in Exodus chapter number seven, verses 20 through 25. Now, is this going to be actual blood or is it going to be red-like blood? Well, I guess what? We'll find out together, won't we? I tend to lean that it's going to be actual blood, but we'll see. Some say that if it is a bomb that comes in that's, that's, that, is, that is fuming with fire or a meteor or an asteroid or, or, or some comet coming in, who knows, but we're going to see that it's going to destroy the creatures in the sea and then the ships that are in the sea. So this great mountain that is on fire is going to come and land in the sea. And as a result, the, the creatures who are alive in the sea are going to die. And then as a result of this mountain coming in and just hammering in to the, to the ocean, just imagine the effects of a large mountain that's on fire going in to the ocean. Have you ever taken a big rock or let's just say a small rock and you take it and you skip it across the water? You ever done that as a kid? Have you ever taken rocks and you just try to throw it in to see how big of a splash it is? And you go get a bigger rock and, and you throw it in and you get a bigger rock and a bigger rock and a bigger rock. The bigger the rock, the bigger the splash. And then the bigger the waves that come across. So how do the ships die? Well, this great mountain that's on fire comes and lands in this water. And then perhaps there's going to be all these tsunami waves that are going to be a rippling effect of this giant great mountain burning with fire, falling into the sea. We have worshipped Mother Nature, planet Earth, and we have often throughout history, mankind has worshipped creatures of the sea. And as a result, God is plaguing down his judgment on this scene to remind us that we should not worship the earth or the sea or anything in it. Only worship him. The second trumpet unleashes God's judgment of destruction upon one third of the sea life. That's a lot. 
So imagine all the, plant, all the fish that die. Imagine the salmon, the trout, all these different things that we like to eat, and, and maybe tuna if you're into that, or, or maybe catfish or whatever you, you like to eat these days. Imagine all of the plant life, one-third of them dying, and now we're going to see famine arise even more so than back in chapter number 6 with the seals. And then imagine all the ships that are going to die. All the people in the ships are going to be devastated. Notice these these plagues, these judgments right here are not directed to mankind. It's directed to the earth and and the animals and creatures in the earth, but then it's going to affect mankind. And so as a result, many men and women will die. These trumpet judgments are a warning sign from God for mankind to repent of their sins. And we have no reason to try to spiritualize these, allegorize these, or try to symbolize these. The best way to view this is as it is, literally, and in the future. And then, I want to draw your attention to verses 10 and 11 as we move forward to to capture what the third trumpet judgment is. Thirdly, the trumpet judgment unleashes God's The trumpet, excuse me, the third trumpet unleashes God's judgment of poisoning one-third of all fresh water. The third trumpet unleashes God's judgment of poisoning one-third of all fresh water. Look at at this. This is not my words. This is not something that I read in, in some novel or some crazy, you know, uh, movie heard about it in a movie. This is this is God's word right here. And look what it says. It says, and the angel, the third angel sound, and there fell a great star. From heaven. The astrologist's worst nightmare is a comet or an asteroid or a meteor slamming into the earth. It's the worst nightmare. You can go read all the scientific journals and articles and magazines all you want to, and it's their worst nightmare of seeing such cataclysmic and devastation on this earth because, hey, if a comet hits the earth, bad things are going to happen. But the Bible says here that, that a great star fell from heaven. And there's no reason to not believe it is a star. Some form of meteor, asteroid, or comet coming out from outer space from heaven into this earth. And it says this this star was burning as it were a lamp. So it's on fire, especially the closer it gets, the, the brighter it is. And then when it goes through the atmosphere and plagues this earth, check it out now, it says, and it fell upon a third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of water. So the fresh water supply here. So the earth is, the, the vegetation is burned up, one third of it. And then one third of the oceans is affected, turning into blood. And now one third of the fresh water supply is now going to be polluted with bitter water. Notice it says here, the name of the star is called Wormwood. Say Wormwood with me. Wormwood. Say it again. Wormwood. One more time, please. Wormwood. This is the only verse in the New Testament this word occurs in. Twice, right here in verse 11. But it's interesting, seven times the English Bible has the word wormwood in the Old Testament, but then the eighth time it's translated as another word. And as you begin to study this word, wormwood, you discover that it's a word that means bitter. But it also gives this idea that, that, it, that, that it is not just bitter, but it is also poisonous, and the result of drinking it is death. 
One commentator said wormwood is mentioned eight times in the Old Testament where it is associated with bitterness, poison, and death. Another commentator said wormwood was known for its bitterness in the Old Testament, such as Proverbs and Lamentation, and sometimes was thought to be poisonous in Deuteronomy and Jeremiah. It also appears as a, med- as a metaphor for sin in Deuteronomy and Amos. And then I like what another commentator said. It said the disaster here, this disaster right here of this this. This star coming in and turning a, a third of the water into bitter water to where man couldn't drink it any longer without dying. But he said it's very similar of the plague in Egypt when God turned the water to blood. It is, but it's also similar to Exodus chapter 15. And we see that, that God has used Moses and Aaron to lead the people of Israel out of Pharaoh's land. They've crossed the Red Sea. And in chapter 15 of Exodus, they're singing the song of Moses. They are rejoicing. And oftentimes in our greatest days of victory, Satan attacks us and destroys us. And it's our greatest moments of temptation. And we see that in that time, they were traveling three days in the desert and they had no water. They couldn't find any water. So the people of Israel began to complain. I mean, you would too if you didn't have water for three days. And so Moses did what he could only do. And that is he went down to his knees to God and prayed. And God said, why don't you take that tree and why don't you throw that tree in that water right there? Because they came, to a, they came to a body of water and it was bitter and not worth drinking. Kind of like wormwood. But they called it Mara because it was bitter water. And so that tree, God miraculously turned that bitter water into sweet water. But now in Revelation, we see the opposite. God is sending down his judgment upon the fresh water supply. And now mankind is going to suffer from a lack of of water. Dehydration. Have you ever been dehydrated? Sure you have. You might, maybe you've been so dehydrated you had to go to the hospital and had to shoot you up with some liquids so you could be hydrated again. Could you imagine going three days without water like the Israelites in the wilderness journey? Could you imagine going days without water? I mean, that's insane. But here, we have to believe that as a result of this great star, man, is going to go through a dehydration process like they've never experienced before. Now, let's look at verses 12 and 13. These trumpet judgments are sometimes hard to believe. It's hard to imagine that God would put this in the canon. It's hard to imagine that God would pour out this kind of judgment in the New Testament. I mean, think about this. Many critical scholars of the New Testament and the Old Testament, they'll come in and they'll say, hey, the God of the Old Testament is vastly different than the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is all about wrath and fury and judgment. But the God of the New Testament is all about love and grace and mercy. Well, have you ever read the book of Revelation? Right here we see that this is the same God who is in the Old Testament In the New Testament, the same God that thundered judgments upon the people of Egypt is the same God that's going to thunder judgment upon the people in the tribulational period. Notice, the fourth judgment is simply this. The fourth trumpet unleashes God's judgment of darkness upon one-third of the heavenly hosts. The fourth trumpet unleashes God's judgment of darkness upon one-third of the heavenly hosts. Look at verse number 12. It says, And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And I beheld, 
and heard, well, excuse me, we'll get to verse number 13 in a minute. Verse 12, it speaks of how God is going to send judgment to the sun, the moon, and the stars and plague them with darkness. This reminds me of Exodus chapter 10, the ninth plague that God sent to Egypt. I find it interesting that for a few days, the entire land of Egypt, minus where Israel was, was covered in darkness. The only thing I can kind of explain darkness to, complete total darkness, is if you ever go into a cave, maybe Dixie Caverns, if you've ever been to Dixie Caverns, and they take you down into that cave, and then they turn off all the lights and you can't see anything. You can put, you can take your water bottle or whatever you have, you can put it like right here in your face and you can't see it. Try it sometime. You can't see anything. In a cave, it is pitch dark. And that's what happened in Egypt thousands and thousands of years ago when God sent darkness to that land. And it is very possible this is exactly what God is going to send to the world in the future here in this tribulation period. God is going to send darkness. Now, how is he going to do it? Is there going to be some sort of eclipse that's going to block the, the sun? Is there going to be a volcanic, a volcanic eruption that's going to send all the smoke and the, and the fumes in the cloud that's going to block the sun so that we can't see the sun and the moon and the stars? I don't know. I just, I don't know exactly what's going to take place, but what we do know is right here, the Bible says one third of the moon, one third of the sun, and one third of the stars will be darkened. It'll change life. Now, if the grass and the trees are burnt up, well, we can live a little while because over time it'll grow back. If a third of the water, the fresh water supply is made bitter, well, we can still find some water somewhere and drink. But I want to tell you this. When God changes the way the sun and the moon and the stars work, it will change life on this earth. I don't know if what the scientists say are true about the sun, but they say the sun is rapidly losing its power. I am told that on the sun there are explosions that take place. And so maybe an explosion is going to take place and it's not just going to hit the first two planets, but it's also going to hit ours. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to all transpire. But what we do know is darkness will be plagued upon portions of this earth. Did you know that darkness, not just in Exodus and Revelation, but in Amos and Joel and, and Ezekiel, and even Jesus mentions darkness kind of like this in Matthew 24 and Mark 13. But there's one passage I want to show you. In fact, I need you to see this. So if you would turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Oftentimes throughout Scripture when darkness is present, it's a result of the judgment of God. And we see in Matthew chapter 27 that Jesus is now, he is literally on the cross. He has been beaten. He has been battered. He has been bruised. He has been, the stakes have been driven in him. And he is now on the cross. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 27, verse number 45, li listen to this. It says, now from the sixth hour, there was, say it with me, Darkness. Say it again. Darkness. One more time, please. Darkness over all the land to the ninth hour. Isn't that something? But now check it out. Now, why is there darkness here? I, may I just give you a, a little bit of my commentary today? 
I think that the reason why darkness is here because in this moment, this is the time when God the Father is pouring out his wrath upon God the Son. Notice what Jesus says here, one of his sayings on the cross. He says, my God, my God. He is literally at the, at the same hour here. The Bible says that Jesus lifts up his voice and he cries out and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why hast thou forsaken me? And in this very moment was when the wrath of Almighty God was placed upon the Son of God. And then it was totally appeased. And there in this moment, Jesus totally died for every sin that you could ever imagine. And today, he went through wrath and judgment and hell so that we don't have to go through it. As we see this darkness, it reminds me of not just Jesus' darkness that he experienced on the cross to where he paid the penalty for our transgressions, but it also reminds me of another type of darkness. The Bible says that those who are considered wicked, that is the unregenerate, those who do not know Christ as their Savior, those who are not born again, will be taken and cast into a place of outer darkness. Away from the presence of God for all eternity. But my friends, Jesus came to this earth. He died on that cross so that we wouldn't have to experience the eternal judgment of God in hell but we could experience the eternal grace and mercy and love of God in heaven. And we see right here in verse number 13, all of these, these first four trumpets have sounded, the judgments have been given, but now we see the Bible says here, and I beheld, John says, I have, I have now fixed my attention and focus upon what he heard. And it is interesting. Here, our King James says, and I heard an angel flying. But if you happen to have another more modern translation of the Bible, you're going to notice it does not say angel. It says eagle. And the question is, is why would one translation have angel and why would the other have eagle? They are totally two separate Greek words. And so this takes us back to the manuscripts, the oldest manuscripts that we have to date have eagle in it. But the manuscripts that the King James used, which were the same ones used throughout the Reformation period and throughout the first English Bibles ever translated, has angel. So the question is simply this. Is this an angel that John is seeing or is this an eagle? Well, this angel is speaking. So if it is an angel, well, we've seen angels speak so far, so it makes perfect sense. But if it's an eagle, actually, you know, an eagle would make sense too because we read in the Old Testament that God spoke through Balaam's donkey. So if God created the animal kingdom, God can certainly speak through the animal kingdom. I mean, God speaks through you and me, so surely he can speak through the animal kingdom. But then, check it out now. In Revelation chapter four, we see that one of the living creatures in verse number seven is identified as a beast that is like a flying eagle. So it is very possible that this angelic being is an angelic being that looks like an eagle, and it's very possible that this is one of the cherubims right here in the presence of God, flying and soaring through the air, declaring with these words with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe. You ever said woe before? Years ago, we were on a mission trip to New Hampshire, and 
Have, have you ever witnessed a car accident before? If you've ever witnessed one, you will never think to get your phone out and record it because it all happens so fast. But at the same time, it happens in slow motion. And so we were driving up, I think it was Interstate 81, and we were, we were, we were cruising right along, and this van just like zooms past us, and we were like, whoa, whoa. You ever been, you ever been riding in the passenger seat, and you like press the, the floor because you're, you're trying to press the brakes? <laughs> we all have. Yeah. And so we're going up to New Hampshire and this van just zooms past. We're like, well, that was interesting. And then the van just starts going like this in the middle of the interstate at like 70 miles an hour. And then the van just like slows down and then speeds way up. And then all of a sudden it begins to drift off, off into the, the, the shoulder of the road and drifts back and then drifts to the shoulder of the road. And it's almost like it's going to go and, and, and go down off the road into, into the grass. But then out of nowhere, there's a guardrail and just plows into a guardrail. And throughout that whole experience, we were saying, whoa, 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 to that car. This angelic being is crying, whoa, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth. By reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. Today, I know that you're asking yourself, so, so what? <laughs> it's a lot of information, but... But who cares? I'm not going to be here. <laughs> What's the big deal? They're going to they're gonna experience the water and the blood and the bitterness and, and the earth, the vegetation burned up and, and the darkness. But, but I'm not. So, so what? What's the big deal? Brian, what's the big deal? Well, I want to take you to one more verse before we close. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. I want you to see this with your own eyes. I know you probably have it memorized, but I want you to see it written because this is the word of God. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27 says, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So how does all this relate to me in my life right now? Well, we are called, just like this angel that's flying and soaring through heaven, shouting out, whoa, 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 because of the next three judgments to come. That's why he's doing it. We'll talk about that next time. But we are called to go out into the world and share, whoa, 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 because there's a day coming when God is going to pour out his judgment on the earth. And if somebody dies right now without Christ, they are underneath the judgment of God. So here's the final statement I want to give to you. Here's the second key statement. If you walk away with anything today, this is what I want you to take away with. Warn the lost of God's coming judgments and their need to bow to him in faith and repentance. That's the message for today. Warn the lost of God's coming judgments and their need to bow to him in faith and repentance. My friends, you could understand every detail way better than me right here from verse six to verse 13. But if you don't go out in the highways and the hedges, if you don't go out into your community, if you don't go out into your, wherever you go and share the good news of the gospel, then what good is it to know every detail about Revelation and not go out and warn those about the judgment and their need to come to faith in Christ and to repent of their sin? Will you devote the rest of your life however long, however short, to telling the world of their need to come to faith in Christ and to repent of their sins.
Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.